And the second half of our Bible called the New Testament is the very first book. So Matthew chapter 13. The passage is also in the bulletin as well as on the screen. So as you're turning there, let me make you aware of a few things. Number one, uh, you got the week two. Let me turn it around because all you see is blank. <laughs> week two of Psalm 8. So remember over the season of Lent, uh, which is a 40-day journey as we head toward Easter, we're memorizing three psalms. And our first one is Psalm 8. So we memorize the first half of it, and this is week two's second half of Psalm 8. So I encourage you, grab it. If you're behind, that's okay. Grab both of them and, and start memorizing, thinking, reflecting on that uh, with us as a family. Also, on the back of your bulletin, let me highlight a couple things before we dive into our text. The first one is this. There's a baptism class coming up next Sunday uh, during the 9 o'clock service. So if you're someone that is here that is 18 years and, and above that's interested in baptism, want to learn more about what baptism is, uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of that class. So that'll happen during the first hour of our services uh, next Sunday. It'll happen in the little connect room. So it's March, whatever, 5th, 4th, something like that. It's next Sunday. I don't, I get my, I know it's February's a short month. So I'll get a little messed up there. So that's next Sunday. And uh, the second one on here is also, we have worship band auditions. So if you're interested in and playing on a Sunday or singing on a Sunday, uh, we, we need you to audition for that. And that information's on the back of your bulletin also. I put it up and I have no idea when it is, but it's on the back of your bulletin. Pay attention to that. And so don't feel intimidated and weird about that. It's just a way for us to kind of see where you're at as far as your gifting. And I promise it's not like, a, it's, it's not like American Idol or anything like that. It's very, very like a family. It's okay. Uh, so just come and be a part of that. Elliot leads those things really, really well. All right. So if you're just joining us, we're kind of in the middle of a series on the parables. Uh, So we spent the first few weeks on the parables of money. Uh, We're in the middle of the parables of the kingdom. And then we're landing the plane uh, with the parables of judgment. So remember, parables are just kind of short stories uh, that Jesus told to kind of penetrate a very callous, cold-hearted people in order to bring about one central idea, one central point. And so today we're, we're still in Matthew 13. Josh did a fantastic job kind of unpacking the first half of that. And we're going to look at a couple verses in, uh, in the middle of that chapter. So I encourage you, if you can, uh, to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So we're going to read verses 31 through 33. So hear the Word of the Lord. And so Jesus, that's who He is there, told them another parable. And He said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful again that we can gather together and, and think and reflect and sing about you and the work you've done for us on the behalf of Jesus. And so, Lord, once again, we, we come needing your help to understand what you've shown us here or taught us in this passage of Scripture. And we also just continually pray, as James has prayed for us, that we would not just be hearers of the word, Lord, but that we would be also doers. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you guys ever watched a movie where um, the video and the audio were out of sync? You ever seen that? I'm talking about, somebody raise your hand if you've seen that. 
So you got the video, lips are moving, then the audio comes in there. How long do you normally watch that movie when you kind of see that? Very little, right? It gets really on my nerves really fast. I'm like trying to find another channel where it's kind of connecting well, or I just kind of give up. It's like it's so annoying like to see the, the disconnect there. I try to sometimes when I watch um, uh, Kentucky basketball, sometimes I'll, I'll listen to um, the commentators on the radio, 84 WHS. But the problem with that is that usually the audio and the video never matches. It's like he scores a you know, basket, and then you know, two, two seconds later, here comes the, the, the announcer. It's like, oh, I'm done. i got to listen to these morons in ESPN or CBS or whatever. And if, if you work for them, hopefully you're not offended by that. It was just a joke, all right? So, <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's a disconnect there, a, a word that we can use, which is not a common word that I use, and it's probably not a common word that most of us use, is dissonance, right? It, there's a lack of harmony between what you see and what you're hearing. Uh, maybe you felt this even with like uh, a leader that you kind of admire. Maybe you went and read some books or or whatever, and you had an opportunity to meet them, and when you met them, it's like, oh, there's a disconnect here. There's a dissonance I'm feeling, and, and all of a sudden you can't read or listen to them anymore. As a well-known Christian author and speaker to this day, I, I, I used to li- read a lot of his books, and I had a chance to kind of spend some time with him, and not that he was like this, you know, anything crazy and moral, but there was just a disconnect for me. There was just a, like a lack of kind of harmony of what I kind of pictured and what I'm reading, and then what I'm experiencing with this guy. And, and to this day, uh, I have trouble reading his books or even listening to him. I, and maybe that's more on me than it is on him, and I probably need to confess that. So, and maybe I am right now. All right, but moving on. So, but the reality is, is that life has a way of showing all kinds of dissonance, right? A way of, like a lot of experiences in life where we have confusion, a lack of harmony. I think the the most difficult place in life is within even the context of Christianity. So that when you, you know these promises about God and then you experience something else, there's a, a dissonance. When you know what is true about God and then you experience something else, there's confusion, there's a lack of harmony. My 11-year-old Conlon, and I forgot to ask you if I can share this story. Hopefully you won't be too mad at me, all right? Uh, he's my sixth grader. He uh, auditioned for a honors choir kind of in the south region here, and he made it. And so over the course of this week, uh, a large group of uh, fourth to sixth graders and junior high and, and high schoolers gathered down at the Gold House and spent three and a half days practicing, rehearsing for a performance. If you watched Wave 3 News and saw uh, uh, a group of these kids sing the national anthem at the Kentucky Center of the Arts. I don't know if you guys, anybody watched that? Well, you probably saw my little guy there. He was around the front center uh, singing away. And so he, he, he made this. And so over the last three, from Wednesday to Saturday, uh, he was preparing for this big concert that they gave yesterday afternoon. And so on Saturday morning, at 1 o'clock in the morning, little Conlon got up throwing up. Concert's Saturday. And so we're up there, mainly my wife, I'm pacing the floors trying to figure out how come my son can't get to the toilet before he throws up. <laughs> Having a, a little lecture, I should have been a little bit more empathetic. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> but in the midst of that, here's one of the questions that Conlon asked. God knew that I had this concert. Why would he let me get sick? That's dissonance, isn't it? Even for an 11-year-old. He's like, this is what I know about God. 
but then this is what I'm experiencing. What's, what's going on is kind of confusing. And I know you guys are wanting to know what I said at that moment. Uh, probably not going to tell you. Because <laughs> in that moment, I wasn't in any kind of spiritual mode or any kind of like, oh, here's the moment, land a plane, whatever. Um, I, think, I think I just said, you know, sometimes it's really hard comment. I don't really know what to say to that. Um, to kind of finish the story out, I'll come back to the distance part. You know, he did get to feeling a whole lot better. Didn't throw up anymore throughout the night. And by God's grace, he was able to perform in the concert, which was a beautiful I think he did a fantastic job. But, but I'm just, I share that with you because that's kind of our experience, isn't it? And it's really hard. This dissonance, this confusion. All right, this is what I know, but then this is what I experience. Now, to your surprise, I, I think that's what this parable is about. Crazy enough, I, I really believe that what this parable is helping us see is kind of answering some of these confusing questions that we have in the Christian life. Now, you probably think I'm off my rocker a little bit, but where do, where do you get that? Well, if you've got your Bible, real quick here, if you don't have your Bible, then just kind of look off on somebody. But if you look at Matthew chapter 13, you'll notice that this parable of the mustard seed and the yeast is right in between the parable of the weeds. So you got the parable of the weeds, verses 30 or verse 24 all the way to verse 30, and then you have the parable of the mustard seed and the wheat, which just got on reading, and then you have the parable of the weeds explained. Like, what's going on there? Why is this parable of the mustard seed and the yeast right in between these, this parable of the weeds? And, and I don't want to get into the weeds talking about the parable of the weeds. Ha-ha, isn't that great? Love that one, didn't you? Threw that one right in on you. You're like, oh, wow, that was awesome. Wow. Yeah, so I don't want to get in the weeds. I encourage you to go back and read that because Jesus does explain the parable of the weeds pretty clearly. But in essence, what Jesus is saying this is that weeds and wheat are going to grow together. Weeds are those who are sons of the kingdom of darkness. Translation, those who have rejected the gospel, those that are not Christians. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you keep rejecting the message of the gospel, then you are, based on what we see in this passage of Scripture, weeds, all right? Then there's also wheat. Those are the sons of the kingdom. Those are the ones who have heard the message of the gospel and they received it. They have become Christians. And so in essence... The weeds and the wheat are allowed to grow together. And because they grow together, that creates a lot of dissonance. A lot of confusion. A lot of time where, where I expect this, but then I'm experiencing this. This is what I know about Jesus. He says he's the, the ruler and reigner of all things. Even now, he sits and reigns and directing history according to his purpose and his end. But then I see on the news where teenagers are running out of algebra class getting shot at. Dissonance. Confusion. What in the world? And so I think Jesus shares this little parable about the mustard seed and the yeast to remind us of two big ideas here, two big truths that we need to think on, reflect on, get in us, so that, so that we kind of manage, so to speak, or live in this tension that we all kind of feel, this disharmony, this, this confusion that we all experience here, this dissonance, so to speak. And so the two big ideas that we see in this parable is, first of all, he speaks about the smallness of the kingdom, doesn't he? Jesus speaks about the smallness of the kingdom. Look what he says there in verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, or, you know, synonymous with the kingdom of heaven is kingdom of God. 
is like. And so just in case some of us have no idea what in the world is he talking about when he thinks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Well, look, this is not some new idea. It's not like Jesus rolls up on the scene and starts speaking in a language that the people didn't understand. Since the beginning, since the very beginning with Adam and Eve, God has always been about a people and a place under the reign of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. A people, a place under the reign of God. A people at the beginning was the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. A place was the land of Canaan under the rule and reign of God. That's the kingdom of God. This is language and an understanding is rooted in the Old Testament. Well, the people of God rebelled against God. They sinned against God. And so God brought punishment upon them, separated them. They scattered to all the nations. They're no longer one people anymore. And they were no longer in their land of Canaan. They were separated. They were scattered. They're in foreign land. And no longer is there a visible sign, so to speak, of the reign of God over their lives because they're all over the place. And so the prophets over and over talked about this coming one. This Messiah that was going to burst on the scene and bring back what they've lost. Bring the people back in their land under the reign and rule of God. This is what they prayed for. This is what they longed for. They wanted this Messiah to come. And so when Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. <laughs> a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all your seeds. And then he makes another similar idea here, not identical, but similar idea here in verse 33 when he says this, he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Look, guys, when the people heard this for the very first time, this is offensive. You're telling me that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a mustard seed? I mean, this is how small a mustard seed is. Look at this bad boy. That's a little bitty thing. When we think about yeast, we think about this little bad boy. Look how small that is. So, so you're telling me, Jesus, that this kingdom that's coming in, that's going to overthrow, overthrow the Roman rule that we're under right now, and then it's going to gather all the people back into one land under the reign of God, is like a seed, a little tiny mustard seed, insignificant, underwhelming. That's not what we're expecting. It's actually almost really offensive. Some of you might be going, well, where, do you, where do you get this, Lau? How do, you, how do you know that the people didn't expect this? How do you know that this is not exactly what they're expecting when they hear that the kingdom of God is this small, tiny mustard seed, a little bit of yeast? Well, if you go to Luke chapter 19, you hear the religious leaders coming at Jesus in verses 20 and 21, and this is what they said. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, this is Jesus. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Translation, it's not coming in kind of flash and power and fame and position and prominence. That's not how it's coming. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's not coming in a way that you think it should come. It's not coming with this massive earthly power like you think it's going to come. It's not coming with this prominence like you think it's going to come. In fact, 
It's right here. And you don't even see it. Now, most of us in this room will probably go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the religious leaders. Of course, they're going to miss it. They're goofballs, right? We're not like them. Well, what about John the Baptist? If there's anybody on the planet in this time that would get the kingdom of God, it would be John the Baptist. Even Jesus said there's no one greater that's been born of a woman other than John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. He's, he's the one that said, hey, look, look, here comes the Lamb of God pointing to Jesus who's going to take away the sins of the world. If there's anybody that gets this whole idea of how small the kingdom of God is, this is what I'm expecting, it would be John the Baptist, right? Well, in Matthew chapter 11, which is a couple of chapters from what we just got on reading, and I would say it's also in the, in the context, whole context, look what John the Baptist says in verse 2. When John heard in prison, that's important, that's why it's underlined, while he heard in prison what Christ was doing, doing he sent out his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So Jesus, are, are you the one that, that all the prophets are, are talking about? Are, are you the one? I mean, it seems like it, but then my experience doesn't feel like it either. What's happening should not be happening to me, but it's happening, and I'm, not, I'm a little confused. I'm in, I'm in prison. If you're coming to to set the captives free, to, to overthrow Roman rule, then, then why are you not stepping in? Like what's happening to me, I don't think should be happening. So are you the one? Or, or is there somebody else that's, that's coming? Maybe I missed it. Maybe I got a little, a little ahead of myself. Then look how Jesus replies to him in verse 4. Jesus replied, John, come on. You're such an idiot. Gosh. You blew it, right? This was your moment. That's not what he says. Look what he says. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive the sight. The lame walk and those who have leprosy are cured. The death hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. And then look what Jesus says in verse 6. Blessed is the man who does not fall on account of me. So, All right. We hear that. We go, yeah, 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 gotcha, gotcha. Actually, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, and there's a promise that's left out. There's a promise that says that the prisoners who are held captive will be set free. Oh, okay. Oh, the blind receive sight, check, got that one. That's that's problem. Lame walk, check, got that one. Those who have lepsy, check. Got that one. Those that are deaf will hear, check. Got that one. The dead are raised, check. Got that one. Good news. The pre preacher, the poor, check. Got that one. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's the, where's the prisoner being set free? Jesus left that out. And then he said this in verse 6, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You following what Jesus says? Blessed is the one who doesn't bail out because what they expected about Jesus is not really who Jesus is. Blessed is the one who does not bail out on account of me when you experience dissonance in the Christian life, when you expect this, but then you're experiencing this. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me because you have this expectation of what you think I'm going to do. And I do the very opposite. 
Do you follow what Jesus is trying to help us see here? He's almost going like, hey, hold on. Are you guys not listening? Are you not, not hearing what I'm saying? My kingdom is a small seed. My kingdom is tiny. My kingdom is like yeast. Yes, it, it's very insignificant. It seems un, you know, not very powerful. Yes, there's not a lot of flash. There's not a lot of prominence. It's, it's easily missed. Yes, it, it doesn't have this earthly power. And I know that's not what you expect. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's small. It's tiny. It's insignificant. It's not exactly what you would expect. Now look, he doesn't end there, right? Because that's one aspect of the kingdom of God. But there's another one that he goes on and talks about, and, and he wants us to hold both of these in, in, in truth. He wants to hold both of these together. Because he uses the tiny smallness of yeast and seed in order to emphasize the end product. You follow me? He uses the, the tiny seed and the yeast to emphasize where this is going, the end product of it. So look what he says here in verse 31. So the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it's grown, what's the end product? It's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree. So yeah, look at the picture here. It's the smallest of all your seeds, but when in the end product, it actually turns into a massive tree, an 8 to 12 foot tree. Beautiful. So he's emphasizing this kind of contrast. Yes, it's really tiny, really insignificant, easy to miss, but the end product is great. It's vast. Look, he goes on and says in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and worked into a large mound of flour until it worked all through the dough. So yes, the yeast is a very small amount, but when you get it in the dough, it works through all of it. There's not a portion of the dough that's not affected by the yeast. And the amount of dough that we're talking about here would feed a hundred people. So look, 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 guys, look, this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. He's communicating to us the certainty of the kingdom. So not only is he communicating to us the smallness of it, but the end product is there's a certainty to the kingdom. Yes, it starts off insignificant, but it's going to be an 8 to 12 foot tree. You can't miss it. It will no longer go unnoticed. It's vast. It's large. Yeah, you can miss the mustard seed. It's small. But in the end product, where this is going, you, you can't miss it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's really small, like a yeast, right? It's a little bitty stuff, right? But when it works in the dough and the end product is this, is that there's not a piece of that dough that is not affected by the yeast. There's not a place in this cosmos that's not going to be affected by the kingdom of God in the end. And Jesus is going, it's certain. It's a promise. This is where it's going. It's for sure. This is not wishful thinking. This is what Habakkuk prayed for in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for the earth will be filled. Not maybe, not possibly. Hope it will. No, it's a promise. It's a certainty. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 18 when he says this, 
I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and what the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's talking about certainty here. It's going to happen. The end product is going to be vast, and it's going to affect all things. We see it also in Revelation chapter 21, and that beautiful promise that's laid out for us in the first five verses where John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And here's the beautiful promise of certainty. Verse 5, he who is seated on the throne said, and this is Jesus, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God will complete his work. Jesus is saying here, yes, something has happened, and it seems really small, insignificant, tiny, like a mustard seed, like yeast. But in the end, it will have its full effect. In the end, its impact will be seen by all. In the end, its effect will permeate the entire cosmos. So yeah, the kingdom is small. It starts off little, but there's a certainty. This is where it's headed. It's a promise. It'll be vast. It'll be large. Everyone will see. And its effect will permeate the entire cosmos. So if you're like me, what you want, and at the end there of verse 33, or like a part of verse 33, you want this. And so therefore, go and live like this, right? Because where are we, right? Where are we? We're, the, we're in between times, aren't we? The kingdom of God has come in. It's been small. It's been tiny. Jesus has ushered it in. But we don't see the end. We don't. This world is not showing us that Jesus is in charge. There's a whole lot of evil and wickedness and craziness going on in our world. So we're, where are we? We're, we're in between the times. That's where we are. And so what I want Jesus to do at the end of verse 33 is to tell me how to live. Okay, this is where I'm at. I'm in between the times. Started it. We're not there yet. We're right here, right? So give me a therefore, Jesus. Well, he doesn't. <laughs> so what do you got to do? You got to look at the whole context. And you got to draw out your therefore. And this is what I would say. This is what I believe that Jesus is trying to get across here in this whole context. From the beginning of the parable of weeds to the explanation of the parable of weeds. And this little parable right in the middle we just unpacked here. Here's what Jesus is calling us to do. This is what Jesus is calling us to how to live in this kind of in-between times. And the word that I want to emphasize here as we land the plane is patience. I know there's a lot more that we can unpack about how to live. But the emphasis within this context here is patience. I mean, if you go home today and you read those parables of the weeds, one of the, one of the guys say, hey, let me go in there and eradicate all evil, right? 
Let's pull up all the weeds so the wheat don't get all messed up and dissonance, right, and confusion. What's going on? And Jesus says, no. No. That'll happen at the end. That'll happen in judgment. So in the meantime, you endure. You hang on. You're patient. And so if you did like a, a little search about the word patient in the New Testament, it's amazing how many times it rolls in. I did not know that. I should probably know that. I'm a pastor, right? I should know those kind of things. But I didn't. It was crazy the amount of times I saw this idea of patience in the midst of evil as, as a call for us, a command of the people of God and how to live in these in-between times. I'll just give you a sampling, all right? So I won't do all of them, but just a little sampling. I encourage you to go home and take a look at all of them. Look at the first one. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 12. Be joyful and hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. For 2 Corinthians 1, 6, Paul says again, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you what? Patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And how do I live? What does that mean? Be completely humble, gentle, be patient. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. You go to the end there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom, and look, look, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Revelation 13, verse 10 says this, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for what? Patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So what's the therefore for Jesus? How do I live in these in-between times? Patience. Patience. And there's two layers to it. The one layer is this. Some of us in this room need to recognize the patience that's being extended to you by God. So the first layer of this patience is some of us in this room need to recognize the patience that's being extended to you by the grace and mercy of God. The only answer that we have, biblically speaking, on why Jesus has not eradicated all the evil in this world is found in 2 Peter. When Peter says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as so many people understand slowness. Actually, this is what he is. He is patient with you. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So why does God let evil stay? Why does God still allow some of the tragedy that we experienced last week in Florida? 
Like, I'm not trying to give trite, easy answers here. It's way more complex than that. But I'm also trying to lay before us the biblical truth. And this is why. Because if he would eradicate evil, he would eradicate us. We're the problem. Humanity's the problem. The heart of humanity is the problem. And our only hope is Jesus. And so God is being extremely patient with humanity. He's not eradicating evil to its, to its nth degree yet because he wants you. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. He wants you to give your life to God. That's what I mean by recognize. Recognize the patience that God is extending to you right now. This in-between time is marked by invitation. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as long as it's called today, okay? Today is Sunday. It's called today, right? I'm trying to be kind of goofy, all right? But you're following me, right? It's today. Well, what's today about? It's a day of salvation. That's what it's about. As long as it's called today, it is marked by invitation. It's a day of salvation. God is giving you one more day to call out to him so that you will not have to bear the wrath of God because of your own rebellion. Recognize, first layer, recognize the patience that God is extending to you. Give your life to God. Surrender to Jesus. What, what are you waiting for? What, what other sign do you need other than God taking on flesh? That's all he's going to give you. What else do you need? You're alive today. You're breathing. You rolled in here. Maybe you met somebody. Maybe you saw the sign. Who knows why? I'll tell you why you rolled in here. God brought you in here. And he's patient with you. Recognize the patience that God is extending to you by receiving Jesus. The second layer is this, and it's for us that are followers of Jesus Christ to stick with the R's. So recognize, being a really good Baptist preacher today for crying out loud, I hate doing that sometimes. <laughs> Second one is this, to reciprocate the patience of God that he's extended to you by being patient with one another. Reciprocate the patience that God has extended to you by being patient with one another. Look, look what Paul says to Timothy. So sometimes we think of patience, we think of it being more like passive. You know, I become a little doormat. And it's all about politeness and being nice. Oh, how you doing? My pleasure, right? <laughs> Nothing gets out of love, Chick-fil-A. So... But Paul lays before us that patience is not passive, it's really active. Look what he says here in verse 22. And I know he's talking to Timothy, who is a leader of a church, but there's ways that this, you know, applies to all of us that call ourselves Christians. He says this, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. That's all of us. 
That's a command to every single one of us to call ourselves a Christ follower. We are not to be quarrelsome where we fight for the sake of fighting. Where our our disagreements and kind of our arguments with each other are not necessarily trying to persuade someone's view, but more about proving that we're right. We want to be vindicated. Especially if someone makes you feel stupid. Especially if someone says, you, you close-minded, ignorant bigots. What do we want to do? We want to step in and fight. We do it on Facebook. We do it on Instagram. We do it on Twitter. We do it on whatever social media we can do. We got, we got to prove ourselves right. We got to be vindicated. And I just want to say that's not our fight. That's not what we're here to do. That's not our mission. Our mission is not to win. That's God's mission. Our mission is not to be vindicated, proven right. That's God's mission. So what are we to do? Look what he says here in the second half of verse 24. We are to patiently endure evil. I know I'm jumping in the middle there. But I'm in the middle because I think he defines what it looks like to patiently endure evil. How do I patiently endure evil? Here's the active, visible nature, nature of patience. You're kind to everyone. Well, that's a radical thought, right? And, it, and it's sad to some extent that God's got to remind us as followers of Jesus Christ to be kind. That that was a kid problem, amen? And once you turn, you know, 12 or 13, you, you know, no problem with that anymore, right? If you're anything like me, you need that. Was patiently enduring evil look like? You're kind to everyone, everyone. Whether they're Democratic or Republican, it does not stink and matter. Whether they follow your beliefs about marriage or gender or all this, it does not matter. You're kind to everyone, whether they deserve it or not. That's what mercy is. That's what God extended to you. We're kind to everyone. Look what he says also in verse 25. What does patiently enduring evil look like? You correct your opponents with gentleness. We're kind to everyone and we correct our opponents with gentleness. So look, look, it's, it's, look. Paul's not saying, hey, well, we just need to lay down and be all passive and polite and kind to everybody and you know, just let them kick us around, be a doormat. It's not what he's saying. This is how we fight. We impatiently endure evil by being kind to everyone and correcting and engaging in conversation with people that disagree with us with great gentleness because this is the spiritual warfare. Because our fight is not against flesh and blood. And if we engage in this type of spiritual warfare where we patiently endure evil, kind to everyone, and correct our opponents with gentleness, look what Paul says will happen, possibly. Verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Because our goal isn't to win a fight. Our desire is to see 
them see the beautiful, glorious, amazing truth about what Jesus has done on their behalf. And we are the physical representation of that. So yeah, like, I wish it was more complicated, more amazing, but that's what Jesus says we need to do in this in-between time. We're, we're patient. Yeah, it feels confusing. Yeah, like, all right, yeah, there's a smallness to the kingdom. There's a certainty. And we live in this in-between that feels very confusing and lack of harmony. But Jesus goes, no, no, here, here you go. Here's how you live. Be patient. Be patient. Recognize the patience that God has extended to you. Give your life to God today. Not tomorrow, today. And reciprocate as followers of Jesus Christ the patience that God has extended to you by being kind to everyone and correcting our opponents with gentleness. And I think most of us in this room would say, in the society and the culture that we live in today, that is one of the greatest needs. It's a beautiful opportunity for the people of God to step in and be something completely different than what they're experiencing. And by God's grace, may we be that church. Let's pray together.